0: Would you pray with me once again and ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask for you to make your word come alive in our hearts. It is true. It is powerful. It is your word to us. May the experience of our hearts and minds reflect the reality of your word. So, Holy Spirit. Make us teachable, convict us of sin where necessary, draw us to Jesus, show us His glory, His grace, and then change us that we might walk in new obedience. For we are praying these things in Jesus' name, amen. We've talked a lot about how the world is uh, changing here at Zion, how Christianity is being pushed off to the side it wasn't long ago many of you remember when um, especially in the south that in order for you to hold a prominent public office or to have a, a business in town you had to hold your membership in the church that day is coming to an end the days behind us christianity is increasingly working from a place of weakness it's not a new position for the church It's often found itself in a vulnerable position. In in first century Rome, for instance, right after Jesus was raised from the dead, declared seated on His throne in heaven, the church was experiencing incredible persecution. And it found itself in a culture where babies who were deformed when they were born were just cast aside. they weren't even killed. They were just left in the streets. In a letter that we have from the first century, Romans practiced infanticide of female babies. If a, if a, a baby was born and it was a female, it was, this was the instruction. In the meantime, it's good fortune for you to give birth, but if it's a boy, it's good fortune. If it's a girl, this was the instruction that was given. Let it just be exposed and die. In the second century, in this context where the church was in a vulnerable position against a culture that was oppressing the vulnerable, the second century church father, Tertullian, remarked, this is what we're known for. It's our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. When the church found itself in a vulnerable position, it was their care for the vulnerable for the helpless that made its mark in the world. In the 4th century, the Romer, Roman Emperor Julian was hard at work to destroy Christianity. Just prior to him, it had been made an official religion, seen a place of prominence, and he was out to destroy that place of prominence. He wanted to crush the church, and so he was actively promoting paganism as an alternative form Of religion, building shrines and pushing Christianity to the fringe, found itself in a vulnerable position again. And in this position, Christians again cared for the vulnerable. In fact, this is what Julian said the thing that's making it so hard for me to push christians to the side is this nothing quote has contributed to the progress of the superstition of these christians as their charity to strangers the impious galileans referring to christians provide not only for their poor but ours as well you see, this was more than just a moral system or social justice. The Christians, the church has found themselves willing to care for the most vulnerable, because this is the heart of God. Psalm 68. God is a father of the fatherless, a protector of widows. God sets the solitary, those without a home, God sets the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. And you see what we have in Ruth chapter 4 is that's the trajectory that's being set. Boaz enters into Ruth's poverty so that she can be elevated and provided for. He moves into the vulnerable, makes himself vulnerable so that she might be protected. You see, one of the things that Ruth chapter 4 is showing us is there is a cost associated with redeeming God's people. And it is a cost that Jesus gladly bears. At the heart of the book of Ruth, as we have seen, is this weird ancient concept of a kinsman-redeemer. A kinsman-redeemer, as review, was a near-blood relative whose sole duty it was to marry a widow and provide an heir for that family so that that family's land could remain in the family. And what we have at the beginning of Ruth chapter 4 is the playing out of the kinsman-redeemer relationship. As we had read, And we've said repeatedly, this is a weird law. But with all of God's laws, there are important principles that are being communicated. Last week we had said that the kinsman-redeemer law in ancient Israel was to provide for the vulnerable a place of protection. But there is another principle that is being played out in the kinsman-redeemer law that we have not looked at a blood relative, must be the one to redeem the language of redemption is the language of the marketplace it's a language of buying and selling more importantly um, than just simple ownership it is the language of purchasing back something for the goal of restoration that's what redemption is and the reason that redemption is The purchasing back of something in order to provide for restoration was done by a blood relative. And that's what Boaz says here. Look, you're the nearest blood relative. If you don't want to buy the land and acquire Ruth, then I'm the next in line as a blood relative. Not only but anybody can do this, it's got to be directly related by blood. And the reason why is because God in this weird ancient law is signaling ahead, What he would ultimately accomplish through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the ultimate redeemer, would be of our blood. See, what we celebrate this time of year, the incarnation, Jesus taking on human flesh, was an absolute necessity. Jesus had to be both fully God and fully man. He had to come from outside of our world in order to redeem. Purchase back for the sake of redemption, for the sake of restoration. He had to redeem, but in order for him to redeem, he also had to not only come from outside our world, but to be of our flesh. See, if you're not a Christian, this is what we celebrate this time of year. What we celebrate is not the cheap sentimentality of a baby that would just grow up to be a king one day. Man, you can find that story anywhere. Throughout the history of the world in the pages of scriptures and movies and TV shows, the weak becoming strong to take for himself and people, what we celebrate at this time of year is that God became man in order to redeem the vulnerable so that the vulnerable could be exalted with him. And Luke makes it clear. Jesus was born of a virgin. He had to be. He had to be like us in every way. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. So that he could be our ultimate kinsman redeemer. The 4th century pastor, I just realized we're we're digging around in the early church today. The 4th century pastor now, Gregory of Nazianzus, said it this way. He's arguing with those who would deny that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. His argument went like this. That which he, Jesus, has not assumed, that which he hasn't taken to himself, he hasn't healed. If he wasn't fully man, then he cannot heal us fully as men and women. And then he makes this point. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. He's able to save us, humanity, men and women and children from our sins. Because he became like us in every way. But without sin so that he could take our sin. Jesus had to be flesh and blood so that he could purchase us. For the purpose of restoration. So Boaz next heads to the city gate. To complete this act of redemption. As the near blood relative kinsman redeemer. The city gate was the center of social life. And therefore it was where all official transactions took place. Think of it as a combination of the local coffee shop. And the courthouse combined to one. And it just so happens that when Boaz shows up. The man that he has been looking for just happens to appear. And so Boaz goes and he grabs 10 of the elders, the officials of the city, and they sit down to work out the terms of the deal. And Boaz lays out the details. Naomi has rights to a piece of land that her husband once owned. You are the nearest redeemer, and so you can redeem it. Well, it's a good deal. He can purchase the property. The property at this point is an income generating property. He, someone's paying rent on it. And eventually at the year of Jubilee, it will revert back into his ownership. And so he's essentially going to put a little money on the table. And he's going to get a great return for his investment. So he says, I'll take that deal. But the kingdom of God is a peculiar place. Its values are upside down. It's a place where the vulnerable are protected instead of exploited. And so Boaz reminds the kinsman redeemer that if he takes the land, he must also take Ruth and provide for her. So Boaz says it this way in verse 5. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Well, this introduces a liability to this man's great deal. If he takes Ruth with the land, if he marries Ruth and provides her a child and she gets pregnant, he will lose the land. To the heir that they would create. And you see this man wants the benefits. Of being the kinsman redeemer. But not the liability. He wants to own. But not provide. But God won't let this be the way in his kingdom. This no-named kinsman redeemer can't redeem Ruth, won't redeem Ruth, not just because he's a selfish man, but in the greater story, this is not the kind of redeemer God will provide. So he not only won't, he can't. Again, the heart of the gospel is this. Jesus redeems a people for himself by taking all of our liabilities on himself so that he could provide for us. He buys us for himself so that he could make us children of God. He owns us. He purchases us with his blood. If you're not a Christian, if you're thinking about coming to Jesus Christ, then you must give all of your life to him. He will purchase you. You belong to him. But he will not purchase you to exploit you. He has purchased with his blood that he might restore, elevate, exalt the little baby that was born was born so that he could die on the cross with the liabilities of our sin that we might be exalted as children. The little baby was born so that he could obey in our place and give us his righteousness and therefore have God exalt over us as we heard today. The Apostle Paul puts it so beautifully in Second Corinthians chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. This is the upside down kingdom. The upside down kingdom, a name is made by serving the destitute and vulnerable. There's this really interesting play on names in this chapter. The nearest kinsman redeemer is really concerned with perpetuating his family name and his family riches. Naming was really important in the ancient world. It's similar in the South. We sort of have a familiarity with the importance of names established families very concerned about their name in the community some of you kind of lived under that weight never feeling like you could be you could fail or be honest with your struggles because your family name might be tarnished in fact proverbs tells us a good name is is to be chosen rather than great riches your reputation the perpetuation of your name is greater than all the wealth in the land and so in this context in this world a name is made in our world by taking advantage of the destitute and vulnerable oftentimes. That's the way the, the system of our world works. The work rewards with wealth and prestige the, the, those who take advantage of others. Disadvantages. Crush competitors in sports. Make a great name for yourself. Attack with greatest weakness. And make a name for yourself. Businesses gobble up the weak at their weakest times. The survival of the fittest demands this kind of approach. But the message that's being told here And Ruth chapter 4 is a very different world. But it's consistent with the message throughout the Bible. If you want to make a name for yourself in the kingdom of God, you must deny yourself, lose yourself, and take up your cross daily. And the interesting play on the name of words here is that the nearest kinsman redeemer who is so concerned about perpetuating his name is not even named in the book in fact the Hebrew is a, a little hidden here it's a little harsher than not naming him he's, all, he's actually referred to as so and so so and so came by he's the nearest kinsman redeemer but the one who sought the honor of another is the one who's named Boaz says in verse 10 also Ruth the Moabite the widow of Malon I have bought to be my wife why? To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The very thing that the so-and-so did not want to do and is not named, Boaz does. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers and from the gate of his native place. And then... In an amazing move, Naomi at the end of the chapter pronounces a blessing over Boaz. May his name be renowned in all of Israel. And it is. His renown extends far past the pages, far past the history of, of Israel. It is recorded for us in the pages of scripture so that the whole earth now knows his name. And the kingdom of God, the upside down way, the one who sought to perpetuate his name is not the one who is honored with a name. Boaz gets named because he is willing to lose his status for the sake of others. Self-protection, to preserve one's name in the kingdom of God leads to becoming nameless. But Boaz not only gets named in the word of God, but he gets an even greater name because he becomes the father of the father of the king. They bear a son. His name is Obed. Verse 17. Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see, he gets... Much better than a name. He belongs to the king who would redeem. Because he belongs to not just the descendant of David, but to David's greater son, Jesus. The name above all names. Because he was willing to care for the vulnerable... And the broken at his own expense. He is modeling for us not only the way of the people of the kingdom of God. But the way of the king of the kingdom of God. Finally, there's a greater trajectory that we must always remember. So there's this bigger story that's interpreting this little story. And you've picked up on that. you picked up on the fact that that Boaz is doing more than just giving us a moral lesson. He's showing us the way of Jesus. We've called the series God's Hope in the Long Night. Because this was the beginning of Ruth, a long night in her life. But it's also a long night in the history of Israel. They had experienced God leaving them under discipline. But one of the things that the book of Ruth is showing us is that whatever is happening in the the current night of our lives, in our suffering, has to be interpreted in light of God's greater purposes. Sometimes you don't always see the dark night come to an end. But oftentimes you do. Because this is the heart of God. The very first thing that we lose sight of in the long night is the kindness and graciousness of God. When we're we're going through the long night, the thing that creeps into our soul the most is God does not love me. Or I might be sure that he loves me, but I am not certain that he is good and will accomplish good in my life. And so our story of Ruth ends with this nice little wrap-up with a very important epilogue. Boaz marries Ruth, the Lord grants them conception. It's only the second time in the book of Ruth that the Lord is mentioned as an actual actor And that's purposeful by the writer. He's showing that in the long night, oftentimes it seems like God is absent. That's the experience of suffering. God has left me behind. And one of the things that the book of Ruth is showing us is that's never the case. God never leaves his people behind. He cannot. He can no more forget his people than a nursing woman can forget her young. But now when he acts as he acted before... And granting conception to Boaz and the formerly barren Ruth is that in both cases, he acts to restore. First, he removes the famine that Israel had been experiencing. And Naomi returns home. And now, he takes away the barrenness that Ruth had experienced. And now she bears a child. The hopeless, destitute people are provided for by God and Naomi. Naomi, who had lost her husband and then both of her sons, at the end of the story holds her grandchild in her lap and then nurses him for the rest of her life into health one of the things that we have to remember is that that is always the trajectory of God in the lives of his people. He always is working towards the end of redemption and restoration. God's not finished with you, but he's finished with this story. This story has a clear end to it. You might be in the long night and you're wondering, is this ever going to come to an end? And I want to assure you that oftentimes because this is the heart of God to care for, provide for the vulnerable and bless and restore them. This is often the case in lives. I've seen marriages that have been on the rocks on the verge of divorce being redeemed and restored. And the testimony many times is things are better than they ever were before. Went through the long night. God blessed. And our marriage is much richer today. I've seen men whose wives left them for no reason whatsoever. Except for the fact they are just tired of being married. Get married again. And God provided for them a spouse. And the testimony on their lips. I never thought marriage could be this good. I've seen, I've seen lives broken by job loss, being restored to something so much better. This is always the trajectory of God in the lives of his people. He is a God who redeems and restores. But your long night might not come to an end or you might be in the middle and the nights just get longer and longer and you're wondering, is this ever going to get any better? And in that moment, you need to remember, you need to remember that this story may not lead to blessing in this life, but has a final concluding end. And in that way, in the midst of your long night, you must remember the Redeemer. Because God has already provided for you if you belong to Jesus he has assured you that you are his he loves you remembers you and will not let this end in complete destruction for Jesus has entered your vulnerability shed his blood and what is guaranteed for you as a result is that this story that you are in will end with exaltation The story of Jesus. It's really the story of Ruth here. Suffering, restoration. She starts with famine and leaving the land, suffers, and then at the end is blessed with something so much greater than she had before this little story is prescriptive of the greater story suffering and then glory it's the pattern of god's kingdom redemption through suffering is the trajectory that every person who belongs to jesus follows precisely because it's the path that jesus followed we're united to jesus he suffered and then entered into his glory and you must remember that If you are a Christian, you belong to the one who was born to an unwed mother in a cattle stall, was immediately sent into Egypt because the authorities were trying to kill him. He had no home, he had no riches, and then he died in unjust death on the cross. But that is not the end of the story. The night might be long because it was long for Jesus, but that's just a necessary prelude. It's just the music at the beginning. The end ends with this great crescendo where Jesus, raised from the dead, sitting in victory on his throne and coming again. And if you belong to him, he puts an end to the long night by making you kings and queens and the new heavens and new earth. Let me close with this. There's an interesting Japanese art form called kintsugi. It's it's fascinating to me. And they'll take broken pieces of pottery, pottery that might have just been dropped on the floor or the kids knocked off the shelf, and they'll they'll put it back together. But the way they put it back together is fascinating. Because they don't glue it back together. First of all, they don't discard the broken pieces. They redeem it. They don't put it back together. They don't redeem it and restore it by making the cracks hidden. They actually put gold in the cracks. And the, the reason they put gold in the cracks is so they don't hide them, they highlight them. The broken pottery is made more beautiful by the artist by having the brokenness magnified. And every time I see it, I think, that's the way of Jesus. There's no redemption without the long night. Ruth had to suffer before she could be restored. But in the hands of Jesus, the long night creates something so much more beautiful as he breaks us. His grace and his kindness is that gold that shines in those cracks now. It shines, his grace and his kindness shines and that he is a redeemer of the vulnerable and the destitute. But if this is the way of the king, this also must be the way of his people. The cracks in our world need the church. There are opportunities for redemption to take place. Where we see brokenness, we've got to enter in and bring the balm of Jesus to them. Broken people, addicts, the poor, those suffering under racism. Our job is to enter in and bring the gold of the gospel to fill the cracks. And it's going to cost you to do this, won't it? I mean, it costs us every time, but it will cost you to be salt and light in this world. But united to Jesus, this is not only the story that you belong to, but this is how you make a name in his world. For you know, If you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. And there's no greater name than Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you... Are the kind of God who does not tell broken people, get your act together. You tell us, I'll redeem you. And we're thankful, Lord Jesus, that that redemption came at such a great cost that you were willing and joy to pay because of your great love for the Father and your great love for your people. And we wait. We wait for your uh, redemption to break into our long night here, but we wait for the greater day when a final redemption will take place and the new heavens and new earth will descend as our King comes to bring our inheritance. Give us faith to wait and to work. We pray this in your name, our Savior. Amen.